This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hey there, listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam. And today, we're starting a new season. This season, we will talk about investing, which is something I'm very interested in. I think Sam's interesting in, in that too. We kind of spent a lot of time thinking about it. How are you doing, Sam? Doing great. I'm excited for this. You don't want to say that you're like obsessed with money, but it is kind of close to my heart around the importance of being able to manage your money properly and use that to kind of build the life that you want. So the idea of this podcast was to kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of the books that we will be reading in this season. And so the idea is just to now discuss why investing is something that everyone actually should take serious and everyone should at least think about and make informed decisions about. We're talking about wealth and financial security. And I think that's relevant for whatever you do in life. Mm. Yeah, exactly. As in, it can sort of seem a bit almost taboo to talk about it with your friends and these kind of things often. And you don't want to like measure each other based on how much you get paid or whatever. But mm -hmm. it does drive every single decision you make in, in life, like what job you take and what you're buying at the supermarket, whether you're going on holiday or not. It's like the entire fabric of your life is based on what you pay for and what you get paid for doing these things. So it's really handy if you don't need to have such a, I don't know, force of like dependency on money if you're able to like mm -hmm. manage it better. Mm -hmm. And then like what job you take, you have a bit more freedom on if you don't need to get so much money from it in the long run and mm -hmm. you can afford nicer things without worrying about it. So yeah, it's just a very important thing to work out. And as you're younger, it's kind of harder, but like there's something that kind of changes as you grow, like as you get more used to different amounts of money and it's, I don't know, I remember like being paid sort of like a pound to go mow the lawn or something and saving that. And that seemed like a huge thing. And then I and I talked to investors that just deal with like crazy sums of millions of money and just the way your sort of concept of it changes and like your ability to deal with large amounts of money and make it work for you. It's really interesting that you kind of learn as an entrepreneur. And so when I first started as an entrepreneur, I found very hard to like ask for money or deal with big amounts, but you kind of get used to it a bit better. And mm -hmm. Maybe it doesn't quite relate to investing, but I'm already going off on tangents. Um, no, I think it's part of it. What we're going to be talking about today is something that not enough people think about, talk about, and it's something that I wish I had learned in school. And so in high school, I studied science. And then after I got a, two master degrees in business and whatever I'm going to discuss today, which are the things I found out myself, I've never really learned them. Like they were never told to me. This is me piecing together information from everywhere and i'm going to be honest a lot of that information actually came from youtube and not necessarily from my courses at university even though i studied like business and economics the idea is that i will provide you with an introduction to capitalism which i worked out which i found super useful just to think about and try to put down on paper and so short intro about how capitalism works and then next part we'll talk about an individual's role in this capitalistic system or society and so i'll try and put my thoughts into words in a sensible manner and sam will be there for you to ask the questions and disagree wherever i don't make any sense how's that sound sam are you ready 
Yes. He's probably wondering, like, what is this guy going to talk about? <laughs> All right. Anyway, an introduction to capitalism. So we live in a capitalism society and everything in a capitalistic society revolves around adding value. And so adding value can be anything. So for example, a farmer from the ground, they produce vegetables or farm animals. And so they start with nothing, but they start with seeds, for example, and a plot of ground, and they add value by turning those seeds and the nutrients from the soil into a product, which could be corn, for example. Another example is bakers. Bakers take some kind of a bunch of ingredients and they turn it into bread. And so from ingredients to bread, the cost of the ingredients together is a certain amount, the value that the farmer produced. And from that point, it turns into bread, which is even more valuable. So again, there's value added. Architects, for example, they design buildings. That's also adding value. Artists add value. They make something beautiful, something that people like to listen to, something that people like to look at. So that is also adding value. Teachers add value by educating people, but also athletes add value by entertaining. That's actually probably the biggest value add that athletes have. Am I still making sense, Sam? Yeah, 100%. So the word value is really key in this, and I'm going to be speaking the word value quite a lot in the next parts. So basically, whenever people go to school, you're trained to bring value to society. That is actually what happens in school. And so the way I look at it is like it's some kind of instruction manual for the game of capitalism. And you get trained at the game of capitalism, and the game of capitalism is basically maximizing the value that you add to society. And so after you finish school and start working, you are being paid for creating value. So if you do work, you create value. And for that creation of value, you're being paid. Now, let's quickly talk a bit about money. Money is the most used store of value that we have. So basically, you add value. Let's say I'm a farmer. I combine seeds and soil into wheat. I sell that wheat or I sell flour. And the money that I make there is the value that I add. And so I receive money for adding value. Mm. Make sense? Yes. All right. Let's talk about money. So money is the most used store of value that we have. And there's also actually different types of money. So you have money which is backed or there's money which is uh, fiat money. And we'll go more deeper into that when we're talking about cryptocurrencies and gold as mm. potential investments. But there's also differences in fiat money. So for example, the Venezuelan Bolivar or the Swiss franc, there's a huge difference in these types of money. That's uh, important to keep in mind. Money is also used as a unit of account for value. So if I offer a service to a company and they pay me, let's say, $100, the dollar is actually the unit of account for the value that I received for my work for that company. And finally, money is also serves a unit of exchange. So let's say that I work for a company, I add value for that company. Because of my work, that company actually makes uh, $200 by selling stuff to their customers. So the added value that I bring is $200. And so the dollar is the account of value and they pay me $100 for my work. Anyway, so money works as an account of value, but also money serves as a unit of exchange. So whenever a company pays me, it's paying me in dollars in that case. And so that is the unit of exchange. Mm. Still making sense? 100%. All right. One of the big issues with capitalism is that some added value is not remunerated correctly or even remunerated at all. Mm. So for example, teachers and nurses, they provide a lot of value to society, but I feel they're not rewarded enough for that. 
An important example for me is homemakers. So people who stay at home, take care of kids. This is a lot of value added to society as a whole, but also to a family. And there are just some value added, but they're not remunerated at all for that. And that is for me, one of the issues with society uh, at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And women's pay in general is on average lower than men's, which has still not really been fully addressed by capitalism mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. left to their own businesses like who have to pay the person like you can understand why maybe it sort of makes some sense if they're gonna have time off but it it doesn't at all from the actual like entire society's point because yeah they're adding so much value like mm -hmm. someone needs to be like <laughs> bringing people up and doing these things as well as the job that they have in the, on the other time mm -hmm. so yeah many problems with yes <laughs> many problems with capitalism and so another example is for the free rider problem which you probably have heard of and so Actually, to solve many of these problems, the government exists for that purpose. Mm. So to solve the natural problems that the capitalistic system has. Okay, so that we've already discussed. So basically, when you work, you add value to society and you get remunerated for that value. Mm. Now, when a bunch of people work together, they can exponentially start growing the value that they add. Sam and I, we met when we learned how to code, how to program. And so to give an example, if you have a front-end developer that can make a beautiful website, and you have a backend developer that can make a functioning system, a website in itself without any functioning backend is not very valuable. The same with a backend that is very functional. Like if you have to type in stuff whenever you want to do any computation, that's also pretty useless. But if you have a working frontend and a working backend, that can become a fully functioning application that can add a lot of value. You know, look at, at Facebook or uh, mm. Uber, for example, these types of systems, because a lot of people have work together they can actually exponentially grow the value that they add to society yeah definitely so and broadly speaking people who work together add value to add value are called a company right that's where you have companies companies are a bunch of people who work together to add value and interestingly as we said so you have two people adding value but there's it's like a one plus one is three system where two people there's an exponential growth in amount of value that they add and the extra value added the excess value added is actually captured by the owners of the company and so to give an example the biggest company in the world or maybe second biggest i don't know apple so apple sells iphones people designing the hardware of the iphones there's people writing the software for the iphone there's people mining the resources to actually physically build an iPhone. There's people who piece this together. There's people involved in transportation of the iPhone. And so this is a lot of people adding value to one system where in the end, the end user pays a certain price for the iPhone. Mm. And so basically, let's say you pay $1,000 for an iPhone. The cost to Apple of all the people that they had to pay to actually that added value to get the iPhone where it is, is probably around $600. And so the excess of $400 margin is actually the money that's the owners of the company Apple receive. They earn the difference. Make sense? Definitely. Now, what is the value of a company? The value is the future value creation, creating power of that entity. Basically, Apple will tomorrow also sell iPhones, will also make money, will also do the same next year and probably also the year after that. And because of that, being an owner of Apple has value. And so, being a part owner of Apple, you can actually quantify that value if you calculate what's that future value adding potential is worth to you. Yeah, which... Right. Do you still follow me? Because I've not... Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. sense. And that's helpful for like, okay, why would you invest in Apple now kind of thing and where you're expecting the value to well, go? Well, exactly. 
exactly. And so that brings me to the next point. So basically this was basically setting the scene. This is the system. Now let's look at the individual. So basically when you go to school, you go to school to increase your capacity to add value to society. That is the goal of going to school. Mm. And usually what happens is you try and maximize your future value creation, creating potential according to your abilities and interests. So someone who would be extremely intelligent might become, you know, a scientist that could invent a new way of computing stuff, or they could become a software designer that could build very complex software systems that can add a lot of value and be wow. used by a lot of people. I might pick you up on the word intelligent there, as in there's different forms of intelligence. Someone that's very good at like uh, <laughs> maths and science and things might go down that route, but someone that's very good on emotional intelligence might go into a different area of things that could still be adding a lot of value. Just to mm -hmm. frame that a bit more like uh, correctly, perhaps. Yeah, fair enough. Although I'm not sure if it's such a shocker mm. that super intelligent people usually tend to yeah. go for these. Because in the end, the thing is, you can add a lot of value, but if there's a lot of people that can also add that value, you're going to be rewarded less for adding that value. Mm. And so the comparison I like to make there is between, let's say you have a school, a very small school, where you have a kindergarten teacher and you have a systems administrator of that school. Yeah. Those two people, you could argue, add pretty much the same value in total, right? They make sure mm. that kids get an education. However, there's more people who are able to be a kindergarten teacher, who have the skills to be a kindergarten teacher, than there are people that have the skills to become a system administrator, which will actually result in the system administrator getting rewarded more than the teacher. Yeah. Although I don't necessarily agree with that, mm. but it's just because of it's supply and demand, basically. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, and so what usually happens in school is that you will also try and become as unique as possible, I guess, in your skill set, where the less people, like in an ideal world, you would maximize your future earning by maximizing your value potential and taking into account how many other people also will add the same value. Mm. So you want to hone in on your strengths. <laughs> also, and interesting because it's irrelevant, right? I mean, both of us could have become a pretty decent software developer made some good money with that, but it's just not something we want to do. And honestly, I also think that our skills are probably better used somewhere else, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, so basically that's cool, right? That's cool. You, you try and learn or you increase your capacity to add value. Once you start working, you actually start adding value to society and you receive money for that. That money is stored value. So you add some amount of money, you add some amount of value, you receive back some amount of value. And that value is stored. The moment you receive money is stored in money. And that stored value, you will later use to consume value. And consuming value is everything they buy. In yeah, yeah. So it's the representation of value that you've been giving that you can then use to get other things of exactly. different value for you, whether it's like the food on your table or your car or fancy exactly. holidays or investments of other values that can like go up and stuff. Exactly. So for me, money is an asset but there are different types of assets, right? Money is an asset, a house is an asset, a share is an asset, a Bitcoin is an asset, a piece of art is an asset. And so mm. this is one point that if you add value to a company, usually you get paid in money. And that is the way they pay you for the value that you've added. In some companies, mostly small companies, you can actually also get paid in companies' shares or stocks or options, which is a different type of asset. And so, yeah, we can go more in depth into that later. But basically what happens is you add value. So you spend your time to add value. You get rewarded for that value in money. And then 
that money can then be used either you can exchange that money for other assets or you can consume that money and buy you know other stuff for consumption for example food or electricity or internet connection etc now in general people like to consume stuff and in an ideal world you could consume as much stuff as you'd want which comes back to a point that uh, something we can discuss later right and so basically yeah. if you want to consume more value and consuming more value would mean that you have a nicer car, you have a bigger house, you can eat better food, you have faster internet. If you want to consume more value, there's a few ways you can do that. The first way is you receive more money for the work that you do. Mm -hmm. That's the first way to do that. And so one way you can do that is to add more value. And that means either you're doing something better or you do more of what you're doing. For example, let's say that you make bread and you sell bread, right? If you make better bread, you'll add more value you'll receive more value and you'll be able to consume more value. Where I grew up in Belgium, there was nearby a very good baker, very famous, very well known. And so the head baker, the one who started the bakery, drove around in a Ferrari, just because he added a lot of value with his bread and croissants mm. and all that stuff. Nice. Another thing that you can do to add more value is to do more of what you're doing. Basically, as a baker, you could bake more breads. However, the problem with that is that takes time. And one of the problems that we have as humans is we are limited by time. And then something else you could do to receive more money is to organize people together and capture the excess value created, which basically is creating a company. So basically that's what you did, Sam, right? Yeah. So you and companies can be seen as people working together to create value. And that's what you're doing with Syncify. The good thing about creating a company is that it has unlimited upside potential. And it's also not limited by time because you have other people working for you you create value on top of the value that they create for the time that they spent. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I call this the entrepreneurship route. So basically, if you take the entrepreneurship route, you organize route, you organize people to add value, and also you add value yourself, and then you pay yourself a little bit, right? You pay yourself from Syncify. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you also accrue stored value by having ownership in the company. And ownership in a company is the right to the future value added by the company. Exactly. One other point you could mm -hmm. sort of argue is that you could just work somewhere where you're giving the exact same amount of thing, but it just adds more value. So if you're working for like a small baker or a small company or a charity or something, you could go work for like a much bigger one where mm -hmm. you're still giving the same skills, but they are mm -hmm. making more off you so they can give mm -hmm. you more money back. Exactly. You're adding more value, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. It, I, I didn't nuance it enough, but for me, that falls under doing something better in a way. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just like you're working with someone who's able to capture more value from the same thing exactly. you're Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, I mean, my framework is definitely not perfect. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> so we just talked about how to consume. So we want to consume more value. First way to do that is to receive more money or receive more value. The second way of doing this or of being able to consume more value is storing value in the right assets. So as a default, people get paid in money. And I live in Belgium and many of my friends receive money and the money starts accumulating on their bank accounts. And so money as an asset has a few benefits. The value of money is very stable. It doesn't fluctuate a lot. Also, money is extremely liquid. It's the most liquid thing that there is. Everyone always is interested in being paid in money, right? Mm -hmm. You will always be able to pay for stuff with money, at least for now. Not always, but for now. Money also has major disadvantages. First of all, money does not create value. A company 
creates value. And so owning a part of a company, you own a value creating asset. Money is also an asset, but does not create any value. Bitcoin does not create any value. Gold does not create any value. So money doesn't create value and it also loses value over time. Usually things that do not create value are valued by their scarcity. And so the problem with money is that it's never becoming more scarce. So basically money or any assets that does not create value gets its value from scarcity. And so money is, well, it's relatively scarce, but the problem with money is that it becomes less scarce over time. So central banks, the governments that issue money, they print extra money. And so because of that, it becomes less scarce. And so it loses value over time. And this is one of the strengths of Bitcoin and of gold in a way as well, mm. which we'll talk about more whenever we do an episode about Bitcoin, which we will. Yes. So on one hand, you have money as a store of value. But on the other hand, you have two different kinds of assets. You have value creating assets, as I already talked about. So company shares, for example, a company has value. If you own a share of a company, you own an asset that creates value. Owning a building or a house or something like that is also a value creating asset. If people rent your house, they're willing to pay for that. And so you receive that value. And then there's assets that just because of scarcity, they increase in value like gold and Bitcoin. So you have value creating assets and you have assets that increase in value over time because of scarcity. Art yeah. could be another example of that. Yeah, things like that. Well, now like there's more of the gig economy. You can like, if you have a nice camera, you can actually lend it out on some sort of services and people can pay for that as an asset because normally it's exactly. like you can only yeah. use that asset yourself, but actually you can lend it out if you have a good microphone perhaps and someone wants to start mm -hmm. a podcast, they can buy it off you for a day, etc. Exactly. Yeah, no, because of technology, more things become revenue generating assets. Mm. You're absolutely right. And so to get that back again, you want to be able to consume more value. So you want to have more value stored. One way to do this is to receive more money for the work that you do. And the other way to do it is to store value in the right assets. If you're storing value in money, it's going to stay stable, but you'll never be able to consume more value in the future. However, if you make the right decisions and you store your value in assets that either generate value or increase their value over time, you will be able to consume more value in the future. And that is what we're talking about in this season. So I'm very sorry you had to go through that with me, but basically I've tried to explain why we're talking about this. Investing is the allocation of value to different assets with as a goal, you know, being able to consume more value in the future. Mm -hmm, definitely, that's super important. And then to go back to your points around education, is in like, that's the thing that's sort of teaching you, well, to become more valuable and to be able to give more value. So that's like investing in your education, even when you're older, like now, like doing things to learn more makes you a more valuable person when you're able to offer more value because you know more about the world or like how to create value, whether that's mm -hmm. through investing or in your job. And that's one of the things with education that I find quite strange is that it doesn't teach you how to learn. Wherever you are in the world, it's always going to teach you how to do maths and uh, read and write. And those are pretty essential. But after that, it doesn't necessarily actually teach you as much about adding value as it should or how to continue to add value or get better at doing that. And I think teaching people actually like the very fundamental basics around how to learn is essential because let's say you can't teach someone everything around starting a business from like founder entrepreneurship, finding what product market fit to like how to IPO and stuff. You kind of have to learn that as you're going along. And if you're someone that's really good at learning, you could be the CEO of that company from the start to the end and create all that value. But if you haven't learned really how to learn fast and like how to mm -hmm. be humble and let people tell you about your vulnerabilities and stuff, like you're never going to get anywhere. And so mm -hmm. 
that's just something that I have a bone to pick with education and the sort of mm-hmm. way capitalism works on that stuff as well. But anyway, good explanation. I agreed with everything and yeah, just the value of well, exchange value of money and then like how you then invest that to get stuff back is basically pretty essential to um, mm-hmm. existing in a capitalist society if you want mm-hmm. to um, make the most of your time. And I guess talking about how I said around like the concept of how much money you're able to like deal with and think about, I think as you have more headspace from investments or like from experience of like seeing other people using money it does sort of change the things and i think we've both been very lucky like we haven't had to work for money directly for the last few years and it's been very nice to be able to choose what we work on and Hmm. it is sort of frustrating for me seeing people who want to start businesses and like they're clearly people that have a lot of value to give to society more than they're doing in their job and yet they don't have enough money to just go and do the thing they want to do straight away or they're like kind of looking to find like a part-time job to kind of give them some money that isn't at all deserving of how much they're worth kind of thing and mm-hmm. so the better you can be at investing up front and then you get to like invest your time more on your terms when you've got like money working for you and so that's why i'm very excited to hopefully explain all of this better mm-hmm. and i think on the whole sort of like happiness and stuff like money doesn't make you happy but there's like basic levels of money that are sort of required to give you shelter and stuff but then the way that you then spend your time does certainly make you happy. And if you're able to spend time in the best way for you, that's super important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so for me, actually, I have a definition of winning the game of capitalism. And so to win the game of capitalism, you don't have to be Jeff Bezos. However, for me, winning the game of capitalism means that your value generating assets generate more value than you consume without any effort from your part. That is winning the Mm. game of capitalism. And so... This is one of the things that I notice with a lot of friends that I have where I live. They see life as in, you know, you get educated, you work for the remainder of your professional life until you're like 65 or 70. And then after that, you retire and the government gives you a pension from which you live. And they forget about this potential of stored value that becomes revenue, well, value generating for you because that can actually give you freedom. And when I say that, in the end, basically, you want whatever that you own to generate more money than whatever than you need, basically. And so either there's two ways to try and reach that equilibrium. On one hand, you can try and maximize the returns you have. So you store a lot of value in value generating assets, which results in high value generations, which results in a lot of money that you get from your investments. Or, and that's actually, I think, also a very important thing that a lot of people forget is you can minimize the amount of value that you consume I think with an investment today of a million euros, if you're frugal and you're wise with investing, you can live off that. Yeah, easily. I mean, less. With like a million, if you're able to earn like 5% on that, that's like 50,000 pounds or euros, whatever, a year. That's not that frugal. That's that's mm-hmm. fine. So yeah, exactly. with much less than that, you could technically live. It depends mm-hmm. on when you want to start like a family and other things then yeah maybe mm. you start needing a bit more than stuff exactly but it depends on what age you're at and what you're trying to achieve so if you're in like your 20s and you just want to like be able to work on the things that you want to work on and you're not thinking about family and stuff then yeah you can afford a bit mm-hmm. less so for sure that's basically for me winning the game of capitalism is earning more on your investments than you expend yeah that's it and winning the game of capitalism a shorter word for that is being called wealthy yeah yeah exactly and Wealthy isn't necessarily just having like oodles of millions of pounds Mm. and like jetting around in like fancy planes and stuff. It's just 
<laughs> having an income that's more than your outgoings and then being able to do the things that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you were talking. Yeah, the last point was exactly what I was going to say. So in the end, being wealthy or winning the game of capitalism, as we call it, or as I call it, is it doesn't mean that you go and live on a beach and drink margaritas every day and then just surf the waves. It just gives you freedom so you don't have to spend your time doing stuff that you don't want to spend your time doing. Mm. You know, I think that everyone should strive to be financially independent. So they just, they're free to do whatever they want. If they want to continue at whatever job that they were doing, that's fine. If they want to start a company, that's fine. If they want to chill out and relax, it's also fine. But I think it's something that more people should strive for and also just think about. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that, as in we spoke when you have like your different skills in life at the start and... I think it's something that maybe came kind of naturally to both you and me, as in something that I've just always done a good job of. I had my first job when I was 16. I basically doubled my money every year until I was 25. And I was like, holy shit, money isn't even that important. I, I, I want to increase my other skills and stuff. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you've also been able to work on the things that you want to, and you've done a really mm -hmm. good job of like investing on stuff. So it's just kind of was naturally front of mind, whereas I've had other friends that just never really thought about it and end up getting credit card loans and all these kind of things. And mm -hmm just sort of ending up sucking themselves into like problems. And um, it's maybe something that we kind of just naturally learn by ourselves, but I really like helping people get out of those problems or like hmm. learn how to invest these things better. And mm -hmm. yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm talking down to people because like we definitely, I certainly haven't had a pretty nice life around opportunities of good education. If things go wrong, I can go and live with my parents who are both lovely people live together. There's a room that I'm currently in right now to record this because <laughs> I'm seeing them for the weekend and my amount of value I need to spend each month if I ever want to make it, it could be zero because they would feed me and clothe me and stuff. Obviously, I actually do normally have to pay for like food and stuff when I'm here because I do have money and they get a bit annoyed, but they'd be fine <laughs> with it if I, <laughs> if I was having problems. So um, that does make things easier for sure. But I think... You don't need to have to be like obsessed by it, but just to spend some time contemplating on where the value is that you're creating is going and how it's being used is really interesting. And I think also like leverage and stuff, because if you do get burned by like credit cards and stuff, you maybe like get really scared of taking loans and things, but actually loans can be super useful in terms of leveraging your own value to like then start a business or do things that are capturing much more of your value rather than staying in a job for a few years where you're not getting paid very well, even though you have really amazing ideas. It's sort of like a waste of your potential value if you could actually take money from somewhere else and then turn it into something much more. I think learning about leverage is actually quite important. And hmm. obviously investing leverage is a thing where you, if you know what the stock market's about to do, you can get like a hundred times leverage and you can make millions in a week, which is ridiculous. And obviously we're not going to teach you how to do that exactly because you never really know exactly where it's going. Mm -hmm. Though it'd be nice to do some technical analysis of some stuff in this series, but we'll see. Point is that like, I think there's some things that you don't even realize you can do. I've always been doing entrepreneurship as in like, you have to come up with the idea. You have to somehow validate the idea, get product market fit, build a company and everything. And so this one guy, he does acquisition entrepreneurship. And so he uses leverage to buy out a company that's been established for 20 years or so, has people buying their products and stuff. And like the person that owns it is ready to retire or something. And his kids don't want to take on the business. And usually you can get it at a kind of, good deal based on the value of that company and like how much it's going to earn the same way that you can buy a house with a mortgage you can buy a company with a loan just because they know that the company's worth that much money and so mm -hmm. it's kind of like the bank basically owns the company if you um, aren't able to pay back the loan 
you can then like well what he does is like he just brings that company kind of online so someone's been like renting out stuff or or whatever they've been doing selling some form of like physical product he then just turns it into something that's got like a social media presence has like a website and just jazzes up its sort of potential like doubles its value in a year and then sells it and Mm. (laughs) doesn't bother trying to find product market fit just like brings it into the modern world and you're like damn why have i been doing this wrong my whole life and that's a really interesting way of like using leverage to kind of start capturing your ability to create value for things but he does add value right yeah 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 he has lots of value but he didn't actually need to have any money himself to start doing that which is fascinating because i think when you have lots of money, you kind of think that you need to have lots of money before you can be successful or do stuff like that. Mm. And you feel like you kind of got to go through the grind, but there are ways. Mm-hmm. This is another thing that's actually important. Uh, another tangent is um, there aren't like super get rich quick schemes. And anyone that's selling you these things is probably like lying and bad. There's so many bad things out there around like, oh, how are you going to become a millionaire straight away by like flipping properties or... um. Mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of people that will take a few grand off your money about it oh we're going to change your life and turn you into this baller business person and come to my conference for a few grand and we'll sort your life out there's no secret around how to suddenly make millions of pounds instantly mm-hmm. it's super hard <laughs> whatever you're doing <laughs> there's not like some really small little gimmick around how to add huge amounts of value to the world that you just didn't realize and if you pay someone a bit of money that you'll be able to unlock mm-hmm. which is important to know what you were talking about is basically ties into the whole risk or reward balance yeah so whenever you choose an asset to store the value that you've accrued in you actually do that on the risk or reward scale and so basically there is high risk high reward and low risk low reward so one example would be very low risk very low reward would be keeping cash in your bank account right well there's almost no risk that you're going to lose that money the bank might go bankrupt, etc. but some parts would be insured by the government or something. At least that's how yeah. it works in Belgium. Definitely. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there is high risk, high reward. And that is, for example, investing in a startup. A startup that is not yet adding value to society, but has big potential future value adding potential. Mm. And so that's very risky because there is a real chance that you lose uh, your investment there. And so basically in this season, books that we're going to be reading now, we're going to be learning about these different types of investments that you can make, kind of ways to think about investing, to just make wise decisions about the assets that you store your value in. Because if you work your ass off to earn, let's say you worked your ass off in the past years and you've earned 100,000 euros or dollars or pounds. And if you keep that in your bank account, the purchasing power of that, the value of that is going to reduce every day Mm. a little bit and 10 years from now you're gonna not be able to consume a lot with that and so our goal is going to be for you to start thinking about your assets in a smart way so that you are building towards something so that you will be able to at some point become as they call financially independent so that at some point you win the game of capitalism while taking into account potential risk factors because i think that's also something that people forget if you lose your job tomorrow and you've invested everything that you had in Bitcoin two months ago, you're screwed. You're really screwed because Bitcoin plunged by 40%. Mm. And if you don't have any income, you're in serious trouble. So you have to be smart. That's why I always tell my friends who are asking me, like advising investing, I say you need to have a bit of money on the side that you can live off for one to two years. And then you can start thinking about the rest of the money, how to allocate that to the correct types of assets. 
mm. assets that might lose a lot of value, but on average will gain value over time. Yeah. So yeah, that's the goal. Yeah, spreading your, your risks and stuff. So like VCs will invest in like 100 startups expecting that 99 will fail and one of them will become like a billion dollar company. <laughs> and if you go for like much less riskier things, it's sort of the complete opposite. It's been nice to be able to invest on like a range of those things. So like have like a portfolio that is some like safe stuff, having a pension, like these important things. So you're mm-hmm. still going somewhere in the long run and then being able to invest in things like Bitcoin and startups or sort of mm-hmm. riskier investments. So I've had a few that have like blown up in my face. I rest like this um, investing, like, well, this lending platform for like property things. It was a bit more risky and stuff was making me like 12% really good for a few years and then went under, lost a, mm. lost uh, most of my money that hadn't come back to me. Another one that was like a bond that was sort of giving me like 8.5% that was meant to be secured but kind of failed. It was definitely a riskier side of things. Although government mm-hmm. seems to be now probably paying me back some of that, which is nice. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely an important one to make sure you don't just sort of go all in one, in one thing. You said like having two years of savings. If you are on a job that isn't likely to be at loss and you really like the job then you could actually be investing a bit more riskily but if you um, yeah but what if you're in a car accident yeah yeah good point if you're in a car accident oh i mean you never know right so basically you want to yeah, yeah. make sure that in the worst worst case scenario you're good and you want to set yourself up for future success with the rest of that basically 100 mm, percent. cover your ass that's yeah. uh that's the way i look at it um so yeah i also have some interesting examples of investments that exists and ways to allocate your capital. So um, I'm super excited for the rest of the series. And so the first book that we'll read is called Talking to My Daughter About the Economy or How Capitalism Works. I have a feeling that this book will give the same explanation as I just tried to do, but then one million times better. So that might be that. And then I think that's what this book's going to tell us, basically, like how it works. So that's going to be cool. And then after that, we are reading the very Lindy book on investing, which is called The Intelligent Investor, written by Ben Graham, who was the mentor of the one and only Warren Buffett. And so Warren Buffett still calls The Intelligent Investor the best book on investing that there is. So that felt like a good start. Nice. It was written in the 30s or something originally. So it's a very Lindy book. And that's where we'll start our journey. Nice. Stood the test of time. Exactly, exactly. Nassim likes it, for sure. Well, probably doesn't like it, actually, but uh, we can get into his view on, yeah. on investments as well later because that's also know. something, it's also a different view. So, yeah. Sweet. Cool, that's it. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.